Hello and welcome to Turning Point Tactics, the competitive Kill Team 40k podcast, focused on giving you the strategies and tactics to seize initiative every turning point. I'm your host Ryan and I'm joined by the Angron to my Lehman Russ, Connor. How are you doing this evening, Connor? I'm good, thanks Ryan. And like a teenager on his Duke of Edinburgh cadence lesson, I'm looking forward to learning about the scouting step today. Are you? <laughs> yeah, I mean that's good. Good segue into uh, into scouting because obviously that's the the next step in the match play mission sequence, which we're trying to get through, uh, so we can then move on to, to bigger and, and better things. We start talking about uh, various faction specifics and you know, turning points specifics and other tactical tips as well. But um, sticking with the theme of the match play mission sequence, we are we are at the scouting step, which is. Is, is the last bit where you can do a little bit, I think, of psychology to get in your opponent's head and, um, and you know, use it as a way to, to get a favourable outcome going into turning point uh, two as well as turning point one. So I've I've got together a, a few key key points that I think is probably worth um, going through, and then we can talk about some of the stuff that's happened over the over the course of the week. If that sounds good to you, Connor. That sounds good. Let's crack on. Sweet. So obviously the the first. The first thing about this, the, the scouting step, which everyone should be fairly aware, aware of, is, is it's used to determine initiative, right? And the, the the standard rule of thumb when you're when you're doing or when you're playing kill team is at turning point one, you want to deploy in such a way where that your opponent having initiative doesn't matter. So you're not at risk of being alpha struck or anything like that. Now there is a few exceptions to this, but but the the, the standard competitive rule if you're, if you're going into a game is if you win the scouting step and and you you draw the card that says that you get to choose, you should be giving your opponent initiative uh, on turning point one, so that when you go into turning point two, you have a fifty eight percent chance to then get initiative, where it's much more likely to be crucial with the positioning of models and threats and that sort of stuff for you to be able to do stuff um, and, and and to be more effective in turning point two. So um, the the general advice would be when when determining initiative, deploy in such a way where it doesn't matter. And therefore, you can give your opponent that initiative. So, how do you determine what is likely going to be that's going to give you that opportunity to do that? Right. So, so what do you want to look at on the board to try and see what move do I need to do to make my opponent take that so I, so I can then get get initiative or force them to have initiative, so to speak. So, I think you need to look at your opponent's team and analyze it based on the special rules that they have. Right. So, if you look at their their team and they are all on conceal, to me that says that they are likely to take infiltrate as an option because if they don't take infiltrate as an option then turn one they have no threats and no ability to hurt you and you have basically free reign on ball control but they have to be cagey and, and hold back from you so first look at their operatives how many options they have on engage how many options they have on conceal where are those operatives uh, positioned that sort of stuff so if they have none on, on on that engage order it's probably a safe bet that they're going for an infiltrate if you see that they have a model that's way in the open but let's say three inches away from a bit of, of cover and they you know that they don't have a special ruler like into the breach for vet guard or sh for um orcs or something like that you can go well in that instance i know that they're probably going to be taking dash because they're going to make use of that to try and get them forwards and, and do that and that you can understand that one as well and finally uh, for fortify maybe they're they positioned a sniper in a way which you think they're likely going to be to try and move up onto it to a point turn one or they've got that silent weapon in some way you think the only way that they're going to be able to use that is, is by sticking down a, a fortify option in a certain place so um the other way that you might see that telegraph potentially is if they have quite a few people on engage like like to the point where you think there's no reason why they'd want to be taking infiltrate 
because they already have enough and there's no one that's set to be moving forward anywhere well then potentially that's going to be quite an obvious way for them to say okay well i'm i'm, I'm using the fortify if that's their plan and they already have the models that they want to to be able to get around that so in that scenario you know that fortify is going to be infiltrate infiltrate is going to be uh, beating recon and recon's going to uh, beat fortify and that's kind of like the the way in which it which it goes through so looking at that on the on the reverse side as well your opponents are going to be doing the same mind game when they're looking at what you're doing and, and, and how you're playing and i think it's worthwhile just think to yourself okay so if my opponent is um is hoping to force me to go first or, or whatever then in this instance i want to make sure that i'm not telegraphing myself so that they don't know which one to choose so maybe that means that you go with having one model on engage during uh, the first turn so that you could do either fortify or a dash or whatever and then and they're not really too sure which one to guess um and and that helps give your give your opponent or keep your opponent guessing and, and, and makes them do the do an option that's not necessarily a guaranteed outcomes so that they're a bit risky when, when they when they do it or they take an option which is less favorable to them as, as, as a player so that's kind of like the the, the first thing is, like, and that's the, the the core bit is it's it's used to determine initiative, and we should make sure that when we're doing our actions, we're we're using it in that way to make sure that the right player at the right time has initiative, right? So there are some deviations in the new match play uh, mission sequence or or the the core missions where I think actually taking initiative yourself is probably the better option than say. Um, giving it to to your opponent and the the examples i'll give are in the loot mission and in a mirror match if you're if you're a two apl team or a three apl team and you're in a mirror match against the the same as you and you're playing capture um correction sorry secure that might be a good example of, of when when to use um or when to take initiative initially right so let's say uh, perfect example you're playing loot and you're playing against vet guard right and they have models that are in the midboard that you know are going to dash forward into a place that's hiding and turn one they're going to group activate two and take two of the middle loot points and immediately force you from turn one with their first activation into a four two on primary uh for that turn because they're going to easily capture the ones that are safe at the back but take the middle ones which which you want to have but you're not not able to to deny them that so that might be an opportunity for you to be able to say throw a model out uh first activation onto one of those points and contest it so they can't then move on there and take that point from you um and that then means that you're going to be on a three three or if you have your own ga2 Potentially, then you could move forwards and take those points or contest both of those points uh, so that they can't necessarily get that 4 2 swing that they want. And maybe it heads more towards a 4 2 swing in your favor instead. So that's kind of like a a, a reason why you might want to avoid uh, taking or giving your opponent initiative in that specific mission against that sort of specific opponent um, on, on turn one. Uh, and the other one is, I, I talk about is like a 2 APLT mirror. So if they have an ability to get onto a point, and capture it unless they have a free uh, mission action and they can get there they can capture it but then you're having to commit two models onto that point to be able to take it back that could be really inefficient for you going forward so um that's kind of like the the deviation from initiative as as normal does that kind of make sense Cody? do you have any any thoughts on that no i really liked it uh, one thing i want to just pick your brain on so i like the way you're talking about mitigating telegraphs is there any should you ever be wary of a feint so what i'm thinking of is um people 
redeploying. Uh, so like Phobos or uh, I think Corsairs can do it or even someone like Pathfinders could put their model in the open, but they get a free recon dash. So they might not choose that. They might choose a different option. Do you, do you see what I'm getting at? Yeah, absolutely. And the, the classic baits can be set there, which is, is a really good point and um it's something that you should always be aware of so the other one that people can do quite commonly is they'll have a medic within range of the guy that you're going to shoot so you'll then try and do a big alpha strike moment kill that model and you think you're going to get yourself an advantage straight away they get medic revived or whatever happens they blinding aura if they're novitiates or they you know dash to safety during this the strategic phase and suddenly you've taken an initiative and actually that that's been been taken away from you so 100 percent, you've got to be aware of those those mind tricks that your opponent might be trying to play on you as well so always ask yourself has my opponent actually made a mistake there or have they just you know put put a model out and and, and they're, they're, it's there for a reason it's going to be moved away and you're not going to get that opportunity to, to hit it where, where you want to straight away potentially um yeah so i think that's a something to be very cognizant of going into into the scouting step there's a few other points though that I just want to touch on because I think it's it's all in, all about this and it and it's quite quite relevant and it's going to affect pretty much the, the whole of the game going going forward. So everyone always talks about activation advantage. I just want to sort of explain to people a little bit of how with a scouting step you're changing how that works, right? So if you both have a have a ten man team, but you force your opponent to go first, well that means that you're going to get the last activation of that turn. And that's really important for you to then know that you could potentially, if you're playing the um, the capture mission, um, which is just rather than secure, it's just the one where you just need to have APL on an objective at the end of the turn. And let's say one of those objectives is quite exposed and it's, and it's in the open and no one wants to go there. Well, potentially you can then have that last movement where you're going to move a guy onto it, but before you know your opponent can do anything, react to it, the turn's over and you're going to get that VP and it's safe and it's yours. And then they can even move off the next turn and then go and, and, and do more damage going, going forward. So that's a, a point there where it's understanding how the activation advantage works is is quite important. And you see this happen all the time in, in games like, a, it's particularly like an elite versus elite matchup where you have that six models versus six models because being able to position your guy with the plasma pistol as your last model in, in the right place to maybe guarantee a double kill going into turn two or something like that, or you know apply a lot of pressure onto your opponent with the fact that you have a 58% chance to win that initiative role, that can be that can be really significant going into that turn two. So you're more likely to win initiative, and when you, you position in a better place to be able to make more advantage of initiative when you have it, and suddenly you're starting turn two in a much more offensive, uh, offensive manner. But that activation advantage that that applies the whole way through the turn, right? So some models are locked to GA two and they have to use their GA two. And some models aren't. So, for instance, you have like the the, the confidant in vet guard can can GA two people. Breaches can can do it as well. But sometimes it's worthwhile not using that ability so that you maintain that activation advantage. And what we're talking about there is is that that that's how many activations you have once your opponent has finished all of theirs, and then you get to do all of yours, right? So, it can be a really sizable amount. So, it could be up to say like five or or, or maybe even six if if you've played played it in the, in the right way. Um, or it might be as little as um, you know one or two, but it, you can play with that with the scouting step and just mean that you have a, a, a better chance of of getting it through. Any thoughts on activation advantage? Yeah, it's it's a very important part of the game, I think, um, particularly when you combine it with that 
initiative advantage, if you know what I mean, that extra 58% chance of winning initiative turning 0.2. But I, what I would say is, coming from a very aggressive player, as you know, is it's not guaranteed initiative turn, turn point two, so it's still important to consider what might happen if I lose initiative. You, you're giving yourself the best odds because you've got a 58% chance of winning that initiative, but don't overextend yourself and lose that initiative role, which is a 42% chance, and then throw the whole game because you lost it. Oh, absolutely. And like, we'll talk about my tournament the weekend, but that was one of the games where I, I couldn't get initiative on, on a single turning point. Um, and had I, it would have worked out significantly. And, and on those things, I was winning on draws and I had the Star Striders re-roll and I still couldn't get initiative. So um, it's it's very much one of those, those scenarios where you you can't guarantee it, but it's it's, it's worth trying at times to, to, to make, make use of it. Um, there's, there's another point as well, which I think is worth talking about because it's also related to this, is when, when would be a good opportunity to take initiative? Might be if you see a, a really good alpha strike opportunity. Generically, I'm not too fond of like a high risk, high reward play because I think that the higher the risk it is, generally it's it's I always think that it's going to go wrong for me on tournament day. So it has to have a really good tactical payoff for me to think to myself, I'm going to accept that risk right now because the the tactical payoff that I'm going to get is going to be so significant um, that it's worthwhile. So maybe that's something along the lines of moving a guy out into light cover where then I can get a privateer asset strike into a huge cluster of models, something like that, right? Like if if I can do that, I think to myself, you know, this is worth me losing the activation advantage because if I killed three or four of their models that haven't yet activated, suddenly, boom, I've got the activation advantage back just because that single act, uh, actors has achieved what I wanted it to do. So um, that's, that, that, that's another thing there. But be aware that if you're setting yourself up for an alpha strike and it seems somewhat obvious, then your opponent might try and do the same thing to you. So they might decide, well, you look like you're trying to get initiative to do this alpha strike. So I'm going to do something that's going to give me initiative. And then as a result, I'm then going to kill the model that you want to alpha strike with. So just be aware of, of how you do that. So if you see a model like um, an example might be like a Pathfinder Grenadier, he's on engage, he's on the flank, you know, he's they've taken a, a dash during the scouting step because they're then going to combine it with a strategic phase dash and they're, they're trying to like yeet this model on engage all the way up there to be able to get an EMP into your back line. Well, maybe you can use your um, sequence of, of moves to be able to go, well, if, if I play, you know, fortify, I'm going to beat their infiltrate option, whatever it is that they decide to play, um, and their free dash from the recon drone is now, is now kind of relevant. And suddenly you're able to swing your plasma out and shoot their whoever it is, um, Assault Grenadier turn one before, before they get a chance. So that you, that's how you can use it potentially to deny those those alpha strikes. You might not even be able to get a shot off because it might be obscure, but perhaps you've got something like uh, the Void Dancer's ability to the psychic power to just stop them being able to use that turn one for their alpha strike and it's too late then. Well, I think Phobos have got something similar as well. Yeah, the Omni Scrambler from, from Phobos is a, is a perfect example where if you telegraph it too much, they will just go yeah, that person can't activate for up to, say, five turns. And suddenly, you know, they get to move almost their entire team before you get to do the, the supposed alpha strike that, that's coming in. And uh, in that case, you know, it's probably going to be pretty bad for you. And I'd be surprised if that, that alpha strike model survives. So that's a, 
a point with all of this is, yes, it's good for a certain reason. Just be careful how you telegraph it, because if you're telegraphing it in a, in a way which can be really easy predicted, then it's going to be easily countered as well when you get to those higher tables. Finally, I think I just want to look at the, the three main options and some sort of like uh, discussion around it, because I, I think that it, it's worth doing. So we'll we'll start with Fortify, because it's probably the, the biggest part of the discussion. Obviously, it's, it's the first option that you have, number one. So... At the moment, clearly, if you're really online or you're in the discords or you're chatting in your local metas and whatever else, you're probably hearing a lot about the fact that Fortify can be put on a vantage point to give you a, a really effective sniper platform or something similar to that. And that is, that is true. It, it can do that. Um, and that is a good uh, option, potentially, on, on your matchup um, to, to be able to use it. But I think people are often overlooking the other option that is there with the fortify step so the fact that you are not limited to deploying it within six inches of your drop zone instead you can do it anywhere in your territory adds a a, a massive level to, to what you with the flexibility that you, you can have with that so sure you can place it very very close to your drop zone so you can get a sniper up or and this is what i've been doing recently i've been placing it on uh the, the far side of objectives that are usually just outside of my uh, six inches so that my opponent can't move on to them turn one. And this is where, the, where I sort of said about how you can play around like the loot missions and the and the secure mission to, to try and f make it harder for your opponent to be able to get there is by placing those barricades on those, uh, those um, objectives so that there's no way that your opponent can actually reach um, or put their base on it because the barricade's in the way, so they have to go around the barricade. Well, now that now they might not have the movement to achieve it. So we talked about when we deploy models, how we're going to perfectly measure out distances to make sure that we can, we don't move block ourselves and we're able to get to the right place at the right time. Well, maybe by you placing a barricade in a certain place, well, actually, they're not doing that anymore. So you've, you've scuppered that plan immediately just through barricade placement. And that's kind of like a, an entire sub-game itself, is, is how, how can you restrict your opponent's movement around the board in a way that favours you and really punishes them. And I think people are just oversimplifying it and just looking purely at the, at the ability to get a, a sniper nest that might not necessarily give you everything that you're hoping for. Um, a great example, you know, uh, last weekend when I was playing Blooded, I was playing against Gene Steelers and I used a double barricade setup. So I had one right at the back of the objective and one right at the front of the objective. So you have to be more than two inches apart, but it that is achievable if you if you space them out in that in that way. And then, effectively, the Gene Steeler has to pay almost a double tra traverse to be able to get get to you, and that's really hard to do from any sort of safe distance away to be able to get a charge in. So he was then unable to charge my guys on the objective and the Gene Steeler's killing power really is is on, is on charging. And then they can't get within two to be able to flame you because they're going to get to that first barricade and then it's not close enough. So that's like a, a, a sort of a mega barricade objective blocking tactic that you can use, which you're not going to get the most out of if you purely just put barricades down um, on your own um, terrain as, as sniper platforms. Any thoughts on barricades, Connor? No, but I would just reiterate, is it is a nice point. I think everyone's been very fixated on this silent sniper vantage point idea, which is a solid idea, but perhaps there's other very powerful options that you could also be exploiting that will give you bring you more utility throughout the game because you do get to deploy it anywhere within your territory. That's worth remembering. Absolutely. And um, the next one, obviously, is, is the infiltrate. So that's the ability to change someone either from concealed to engage or from engage to conceal, 
during the first turning point. And the latter is is quite important. You know, people forget that you can you can use it both ways, right? And that's quite important for elite teams. I'll talk about in a second. But Kloshri mentioned this during uh, his his tactical tips that you can find on um, our, our previous episodes uh, when we talked to him about his, his tournament in Warhammer World and the importance of having that ability with your indirect weapons. So you can have a guy that's on conceal quite far uh, or positioned quite far forwards with an indirect weapon that suddenly you can give them uh, the, that order uh, flip and they can suddenly move up, throw a grenade and has quite a long threat range to be able to punish people with uh, should they should they use it. So um, that's what that's giving you. But that gives you that potentially on any model anywhere. So you might have a melee model that's in a position and suddenly, oh, actually that has to be respected because he can flip to engage, charge me and fight me, etc, etc. So it really helps to keep your opponent guessing as to where you're going to be going and what you're going to be doing and how they're going to going to respect you with it as well now for elite players i sort of talked about just then touching on like it's not just from conceal to engage but also from engage to conceal so when i played against derek the other day he made sort of a great point of like i find it really hard on turning point one to be able to position everyone that i want to in a certain way and the only way i can find that i can get good positioning is through using the conceal mechanics and i'm like that is absolutely correct you know that is a you know that is how the game works it's usually it's a trade right you're either on engage and doing stuff or you're positioning with with conceal so he was taking everyone on conceal and then taking the infiltrate option but sometimes not using it but that then meant that i knew that he was going to take infiltrate because he had telegraphed what he was going to take by having all his models on conceal right so Immediately, I'm like, well, he's obviously taking infiltrate, and therefore I'm going to take fortified to give him initiative, and that's going to give me a, a, a better chance, turning point uh, two, to to do more damage, which um, it did in the end. So, in that scenario, what what I recommend instead is he could have put his gunner on engage, and then I would not know. I thought maybe he's going to live with just having one, and then you know maybe he's going to go for that fortify option. And I'm going to have to go for a dash maybe to guarantee it or whatever. And it just makes that 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 choice for me a little bit harder going going through the game and then during that turn his last option could be his his gunner and he goes you know what no valid targets are presenting themselves i'm not getting anything out of this guy but i really want to position myself somewhere where i'm going to do some damage next turn and boom flips conceal moves him into that position that he wants to be able to go uh, nine inch away or ten inch away because he's rapid and and boom that's it suddenly he's set for turn two he's got all the models in the right place and there wasn't really a penalty for him because he he was able to do so, um, do so with that with that order flip. Any thoughts on the on the infiltrate option, Connor? Because obviously with pathfinders, you use it quite a lot with those sneaky gun drones and that kind of stuff as well. Yes, yeah, so pre data slate, this was just my go to option. So I mean, with that with any team, but particularly with pathfinders, because you could you your forward deployed gun drone is forced to be on conceal, but then the fact that that could then flip into engage and then get overwatched again by the um the drone controller just made up a nightmare nightmare model for your opponent to deal with and i still think it's a very solid option it's just it puts a lot of mental strain on your opponent the fact that anybody could be a threat and all your models can be in safe heavy cover out of line of sight it stops it just by having an infiltrate it stops your opponent doing what they want to do you're mucking up their plan and they don't want to push forward onto objectives and the gun like the gun drone is so so good for that um i, I often view him as a little like assassin because he can just go in you know he moves with a apl buff from a comms level he's, he's got fly he's moving nine inches getting within two or someone and the relentless guns is, are just so effective um particularly if you have Especially the drone control as well lights. uh yeah marker lights 
So he's ignoring cover, or he's moving two anyway, but he's got that relentless. He's hitting on threes, and then you can then overwatch him and hit on fours. Oh, it's gross. So, yeah, that is a, a real a real threat that people have to be aware of, and, and a real punishment if they if they don't take that infiltrate option, because that's something they immediately lose, right? So something to be aware of when you're playing against Pathfinders, they probably want that as, a, as an ability. Finally, the last option is obviously um, the free dash recon option. And I think with this one, this is probably the least taken of all of the options, I think. And the only time I've seen it taken really is used to counter fortify and try and get initiative. That's generally how I've seen it taken. Um, and it's usually used or it's usually used in pairing with the uh, fortify options, try and get a sniper nest turn one with someone set like Vetgar when they can resolve two options. Um, Okay, so what, what what I think about this one? I think you have to really look at what a dash is going to give you, right? So if that dash, and going back to sort of loot as, as a discussion point, if that dash is going to give you the ability to, to loot an objective turn one where you wouldn't be able to normally, then that's, that might be quite good. That, that might be worth it. So you can then just do a regular move onto a point. Um, but... I think you have to look at it and and be really careful with with how you use it. So, if it if you're if you're telegraphing it to your opponent too much, and they can play around it, then you might be giving away your initiative because they can then just go, well, I know you want to do that turn one, so you're going to dash your guy up to wherever it is. I'm then going to take initiative and I'm going to loot the point that was in the mid board that that you thought you were going to be able to try and get to by using the dash. So just be careful with it, but but that's that's something to to look at. Um, but there's, you know, th- there's a few other things that you can do with it. You can increase your threat ranges if you have the ability to uh, charge or conceal or something like that. Um, and it, you know, it's it has it has some play, but it's probably the, the most situational of all of them. I think the the standard scouting steps that I would see people taking is going to be fortify and infiltrate, and then I think you have to have a really good plan for that dash to make sure it's worthwhile, rather than just throwing it out there as as, as something to do. Um, I know there's people that will use. Said pathfinders to try and get a, an insane grenade throw with the scouting phase dash combined with a you know recon sweep combined with a uh, Montka move dash grenade, but um, I think that's probably the, the the one to look at. I think that's going to cover off everything in scouting step, Connor. Um, I did have I did have a question actually. So um, we've talked a lot about the utility that these abilities are, are bringing you, and I like all the points. But do you think there's also an element of I've deployed, my opponent's deployed, and my opponent, unfortunately, I spot it now. They've outsmarted me, and they've got this really nasty alpha strike coming on. Can I now use my scouting step to try and remove that threat? So I don't know, maybe like the dash is going to take away that model that's put everyone within two inches of that blast so that they can't splash everyone, or can I put a barricade in to stop them moving the way they want to do it as a last ditch effort do you think that ever comes into it or can you be intelligent in your deployment and try and stop that i think there's, there's always going to be some some instances where that's going to happen right like, so even, the, even if you're the best player in the world I'm, I'm sure there's there's ways that your opponent can force you to make a real consideration about an alpha strike potential so maybe the map layout is such that you're forced to bunch up all your guys and you're playing against Howard the archon and therefore, you know, they've they put someone right in the middle of the open and they're going to yeet them across the board, turn one using fleet and whatever else. And they're going to try and throw, throw a torment grenade at you. Maybe that's the that's the play. Yes, that that is going to happen. And yes, I think you're right. How you solve it is is using that scouting step effectively. So 
And I think I think you sort of touched on a point there, which is which is really useful actually. And we mentioned about root blocking with the barricades, and I think that's something to look at. Is like, okay, do I take a dice action where I use a let's say an infiltrate option, I flip a guy on the edge of the the cover, and I shoot them before they they do anything else, and maybe it works, maybe it doesn't. But and if it doesn't work, well, I've lost the penalty now of of it, and I'm, I'm going to lose like lose models. Or do you just do the guaranteed action of is there is there somewhere where you can place a barricade down where that model paying that transverse penalty now can't achieve the range that they want to do? So you know, again, that's where you have that freedom of being able to do it anywhere in your territory is a huge amount of freedom to have. So um, I'm I'm a massive like a fan of the the new scouting step. Um, Changes, I think it's really good for the game. It's really good for, for, for the health and the balance. And I think um, looking at that fortify option not just as a, as, a, as a you know as a, as a sniper move, but as a way of route blocking, as a way of um, protecting objectives, as as you know as you say there, like a, an alpha strike denial tool as well, is a really good and, and a healthy way of, of looking at it as as an option. So there's things there, and I, and I think that's probably a, a a, a good point to to leave it on now. Unless you had anything else that you think worth chucking in, no, no, I think you've done a good job covering it. That is awesome stuff. Um, so, Connor, like, obviously, there's a, we're getting more and more subscribers every day, which is absolutely awesome. Um, and we're, we're almost up to 450 now, which is so cool. Um, if someone is listening to this and they think to themselves, you know, that was a really useful, like half hour chat on on the scouting step, and I got, I got some tangible stuff that I can immediately apply to the table uh, and hopefully improve my game. And, and they decide that they want to try and support us to keep doing this sort of content. Is there any way that they could uh, go about doing that? Yeah, so the easiest thing to do is just to hit that like and subscribe button. So if we can get to 1,000 subscribers, that's the point where YouTube monetizes us and that will help bring support into the podcast. But if you want to give us immediate support, then you could join our Patreon for as little as £3 a month, which gets us that mid-tournament packet of crisps and gets you early access to all of our videos, as well as some exclusive Patreon-only content, as well as FAQ, Q&A style options that we can bring onto the podcast. Finally, I think you're either you were in the process of getting a Element Games uh, link set up, or it's already been set up. If you can use that link to purchase your Element Games goods, then we'll get support back from that too. Absolutely nailed it. Appreciate that, Connor. That was a really concise <laughs> way of saying saying how they could support us, which is which is really really good. So, just to summarise for anyone out there who doesn't have learning difficulties, you can you can, you can, you can go to our Patreon uh, and, and support us on there. You can hit subscribe to help us get to a thousand subscribers. And if you are buying miniatures uh, already or any paints or anything like that, you can use the affiliate link uh, to affiliate game or to Element Game, sorry, that's down in the description below to be able to go through that, and that'll give us a little bit of pay back on all of your all of your purchases which is obviously helping us to, to to do the podcast whilst it supports your your hobby which is the main thing so um thank you for that connor we might have to do a little um rehearsal again next time before we go into that again um you guys didn't see the take two three and four of that which is which is great so <laughs> i'm telling you affiliates too long a word i don't know it's too long it's 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 real difficult it's real hard to say um <laughs> but but there we go okay um I think that's that's covered off the the scouting step. It's probably worth us touching on 
uh, the tournament I went to as well because it was, it was a pretty good tournament to be fair um, up in in Manchester. Uh, I went to King of the North at the weekend, which is the third time I've been up there now. Um, the aggressive northern meta. The aggressive northern meta, but um, sadly, I I didn't come back with gold. Um, so I came back with silver, which, uh, or I think they call it chapter master, was the the actual award. Um, so they had a, the Primark was 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 first place, chapter master was second place, and uh, third place was I want to say captain or something like that. So it was, um, and you got these like quite cool. Uh, little trophies so yeah um but i went up there obviously with star striders was the the, the team of the, the flavor of the week so blood of the week before star striders this week um and i don't know who i'll take to the next tournament but maybe some elite team i don't know we're sort of working our way through we'll figure it out um but it was it was a four-round tournament on a mixture of uh both into the dark and open board um on, on a random table table basis Using the new match animation sequence and new tack ops, um, and what else was there that was special about it? Uh, it was using the turning point tactics map pack for the open boards, which is pretty cool. So, combining all those together, it was it was it was a really good event. I think they had thirty um, something players. It, it was it was quite a few. I mean, at one point, it was up to thirty six. It was more than thirty six. Then it went back down because people had to drop out. Then they had train strikes. Um, then it went up and down. So. And I think the guys had a pretty good turnout, bear in mind that I think everything was trying to go against them because um, I think there was going to be a few more people from London turning up had the trains been running. But um, alas, train strikes, but that's a conversation for another day. Anyway, four rounds. I ended up playing um, Loot on round one against uh, someone that I know quite well, actually. He's from the, the local uh, gaming scene in Nottingham. Uh called George and he was bringing Vetguard and we played Noctarius so it was pretty amusing because he was uh, giving me some trash talk you know before the game talking about how uh, Knots is going to rival turning point tactics and that sort of stuff and I said well I'll see you in round one and um, lo and behold pairings came up and uh, we got matched on round one so it was uh, yeah it was justice served immediately um, and I managed to come away with a win with that 18-11 however what did happen, and he did a really good job denying me reputation to maintain with um, uh, Elisidia Vane on, on that. So I, I couldn't quite get the the 12 damage because I killed quite a lot of very weak models, um, which wasn't helpful. Uh, and his his leader was running around with the plasma pistol and power sword doing doing God's work or the Imperium's work. So... Yeah, I dropped two two points on tack ops, which is going to become quite important going forwards um, on that on that initial game. So then round two, I went into uh, into the dark, and I was playing uh, secure against Nicola uh, or Nicola. I don't know how to pronounce it. Whatever I've done, I've probably said it wrong and gravely offended someone. So I hope I haven't. I'm really sorry. Uh, let's go with Nick. Um, so make sure I don't don't offend them anymore. Um, but he was running in session, and they, they, looked, they looked really cool. Actually, they were like um, a sort of like a space wolfy style in session with like cool wolf helm uh, look, and it was, it was a really good looking team. Um, but we're playing into the dark, and I find that matchup very challenging for Star Striders. You know, so intercession are just so hard to kill, and combine that with the fact that you're not potentially going to get much shooting turn one is 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 tough. But um, he came out really aggressive, and that is, you know, absolutely shocking to hear from from Manchester scene because they're normally so um, so slow and cautious. But but this time, randomly, 
um, he was he was quite aggressive, which which we never have predicted. So that that actually gave me the opportunity to get off a turn one um, blast strike against his against two of his models. Now that did quite a lot of chip damage, but not enough to kill them, obviously. Um, and then my my rotary cannon managed to get an obscure shot and chip a chip his incessor again a little bit further. So he had one guy down to I think it was uh, four or five wounds remaining. Uh, another guy I think on eight or so, which was was fine. So I I I'd done done some damage, and then what I was able to do is when I got initiative on turn uh, two. So obviously I'd force him to go first on turn one, or he let to. I can't remember which way around it was. Um, and then I had that reroll in the bank if I needed it, but I managed to get initiative. And my uh, my electro electromeister swung out lethal four, uh, got a bunch of crits, did a bunch of mortal wounds, and uh, toasted an incessor right at the very beginning of turning point two, whilst putting more mortal wounds, splash wounds on the guy next to him. So I, I did a lot of lot of damage right at the end of turning point one into turning point two, which really helped I think alleviate some of the uh, the stress that was that was going into that round, but. Uh, Following on from that, what I thought was then going to be like quite simple, he had some terrible dice, you know, charging people with an incessor, only getting a couple of hits and and that sort of thing, which was a bit of a shame because I think it sort of skewed the result a little bit going going forwards. But we ended up in a scenario where he had um, had to sort of make a choice between moving into the centre room to score his own tack ops because he had secure central line, um, I think it was like central control or something else. Uh, or maybe might hold, hold them back. So he had to either move into central room and score that and try and deny me, but uh, or he could hang around uh, on the side flank and and deny me my recover item, which which he elected to do, uh, which then meant that he wasn't able to get me off the primary. So I was outscoring him on primaries. I was out, outscored him on on secondaries, bar two points on that recover item because he he had I think two incessors parked on it on turn one and and. Uh, and they basically stayed there un- until the, the end of the game, or there was, was one left in the end. So I ended that game on eighteen fourteen, which is obviously was quite quite a close game because um, he had the secure hatchway, I think, uh, which he did manage to score. But um, yeah, it was it, it, it was quite interesting, and and yeah, I, I I'm trying to think how I could have played it better. I, I think the where I chose to place the recover item was quite really difficult. So. In hindsight, I probably should have put that in a more central location um, to, to allow easier access. And that, this is kind of the point of, of me switching between teams quite a lot. Is that I'm realizing that I'm learning quite a lot as, as the day goes on. So that was like my the first two games I was dropping points where I probably should have been getting them. And then towards the end of the, the, the day, I was sort of un- unlocking more like the, the true power of Star Strider, so to speak. So um into round three, was we were playing capture. I was, I was against Luke, who I've played a couple of times now, and he's, he's great, great fun to play. Um, and he was running vet guard, and uh, you know, as as per standard, he he came out swinging, uh, you know, repping that northern meta hard, uh, and giving a lot of his guys hatchets as well, which which again caught me off guard a little bit because no one no one sees vet guard coming at you with hatchets as a as a thing, but but they came at me with hatchets. And so he was like double stacking them on, on doors and uh, making it so that, you know, with a double guard, if I tried to get in amongst it, he would be right in there in my face and, and, and giving it me uh, with some melee. So that was that was pretty, pretty interesting. So we went we went through that um, and I, I think the team just sort of ran out of steam a little bit midway through. I was quite efficiently killing um, his models 
And I think just towards the end, he just ran out of, of the of the ability to, to contest me. And I think maybe it might have been a little bit of threat ranging positioning on the end of turn two and into turn three. Had he had a slightly better threat ranging, it would have been better for him. But um, he didn't. So he, he ran out of steam and I was able to then sort of steamroll at the end and, and, and swing it quite heavily in my favour. So it went up to um, 2011. Uh, so I managed to max on, on that one. That then put me into the final round against Ben, my teammate, which is the, the sort of the traditional matching we have is in the final round. We'll, we'll get matched up. And he was running his Hand of the Archon uh, and we we're playing on, on Chownath this time. So um, I hadn't played against Hand of the Archon before. So I was a little bit dubious as to like, uh, I'm not really too sure what works against these guys, what doesn't work against these guys. There's a whole bunch of trick tips and tricks that they can, they can do. But the one thing I'd say about them is they can do loads of crits, but Against a team like Star Striders, where you can half damage from from a single hit, a lot of the time that the crits themselves can get sort of like mitigated. So, you know, you might end up with sort of a hit and, and, and two crits, but it was never quite enough. You know, you, you'd save one maybe, and the other two would go go through, but you'd halve one, and you'd only end up taking say six damage, and your your guy is still alive. Or, you know, he really struggled to kill my Void Master. I felt really bad about it because I kept rolling hot on my saves. He kept rolling poorly on his, on his attack dice. And I think he fired the Blast Pistol into me and got, I want to say, two hits. And I saved my four-up save on him because I paid for the armor, um, which then was going to be four damage, which I then halved to two damage. And so his leader shot one of his, you would think, most powerful weapons and did two damage. And I hadn't even used the ignore damage once ploy. So anyway, um, that was yeah, that, that, that was pretty 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 brutal. Um, and it was one of those things where the the, the assets in that game were just providing constant, um, you know, mental load on 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 Ben to be thinking about where are these angles, where can he be struck from, you know, is it safe to put a guy next to this window? Actually, no, because you can get shot from this side, this side, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Thinking about the the grouping out for the blast and all that sort of stuff. And I think. Um, that's their real strength because against a good player, there's so much to think about constantly. Um, you can get caught out by by small things, and I, and I was able to do that um, and, and secure a win. So um, that was end up being uh, 2018 to me, um, picking up the the wins at the end. So that that worked out worked out all right. Um, and that was kind of like the, the the four games, uh, and and it was it was good. 2018 is a that's a very close game. Was it? Did it feel tense and tight like it was against Mark as well? It was interesting. Like so, I it felt more comfortably. So there was a point where I so because because in my head I knew I was down on tack ops over the tournament. I was like, I have to just focus on scoring tack ops. Like, and I I sort of did some really safe moves to guarantee tack ops, which I knew was going to let the primaries go up and let um let Ben score more, but. The only way, but at that point, I thought I'd won. So I was like, the only way that I can win the tournament is to max, effectively max tack ops and hope that, you know, so, someone like Dan, who wins the tournament, drops a bunch of tack ops this game. Um, so that was the, the only hope that I had, which was you know, unlikely, but but still to the point where I was like, well, if I can do that, then then it works. So it felt, it wasn't, as, it wasn't, you know, in the game against Mark, I thought I'd lost. Um didn't feel like it felt like I had won, and I was just cognitively le- like allowing the points to get closer and closer, um, but not letting it too far. But it was still, I mean, it is one of those things where you 
you finish the game and you think to yourself, oh God, it's like 2018. Oh, that, that was, that was even closer than I thought it was going to be, you know, like maybe I, maybe I shouldn't because like, had had he got a few more primaries or denied me a few points at the end there, then it could have swung the other way, you know. And it, that is that is the, the sort of the issue with these these high scoring games. So denial of VP is is pretty significant. There is one thing that I, I do want to talk about though that came up on both of my Into the Dark games. Um, that uh, actually no, that's not true. It came up on my first game on Octarius, an open board, and it came up on Into the Dark on my second game. Um, sorry, third game. Uh, both against Vetguard. But anyway, and it's really important because it's a core rule that I think often gets overlooked, but actually is 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 quite useful. Um, and that's the ability to to move through engagement range of an enemy. So normally you can't move through an engagement range of an enemy unless you charge that enemy. There is an exception though, which is if they if you have a friendly already in engagement range with that enemy, you can then move through. You just can't end within it. So in in game one, I use my dog to tie up a model and then use my other model to move through and loot a point behind behind the dog and i wouldn't be able to do that normally because there would have been engagement range but that let me be able to that let me do that and same same was on um uh game three i did the same thing but into the dark so that's a point where i think people just need to remember in the core rules you can move through that engagement range if you tie them up with a model first so you've got, you've got to imagine that you've got someone that's pinning them down whilst the other person gets through to the objective and that's that, that's a really important thing so um core rule big lesson to take out from that don't forget that as a rule and use it where you can to be able to get yourself some extra points um when you need to i like the i was i wasn't there i'm hearing you talk about but i like the fact that this was a um a mixed board tournament mixture between open board and into the dark how did that feel playing it did it make you what did that impact your kill team selection before you even began the first game like which which army do i say now yeah, I think it's very difficult to to effectively plan for for both at the same time because it's also because it, it, it was random if that makes sense. So because you didn't know which round it was going to be, um, you didn't know a if you so you could. I'm sure there was someone there might not have been, but there might have been someone there who had four games on open board, and there might have been someone there who had four games on Into the Dark. Um, and if you brought the wrong team for it, that that, that could sting you potentially. Um, so. I think it's it, maybe that's that, that's somewhere in future where you select rounds and you go. Oh, but the, no, that's not true. So the reason why they, why you do that is because if you're trying to get together, let's say I forget how many it was, fifteen or more, sixteen, eighteen, twenty boards, twenty boards of competitive kill team terrain. That's really hard to do, right? Like, so getting all that together that's painted, that's of a high quality with good map packs and all that sort of stuff. Um, that's that's that, that's like that's a big big ask so they they get everyone from the, the community to bring in various boards to be able to set these up and, and build them um so you end up in a sort of like doing it because because out, out, out of um requirement now what, what i think is the most competitive way to play it i think the most competitive is to have personally only open or only into the dark or have like a a, a split break where it's like first two rounds are open second tour into the dark something like that that's the most competitive sure but realistically working with within what you have it's it, it's, it's much easier to source both a, a mixture of boards so that's kind of why they've done it and I, I know some people are a fan of it some people aren't but that's 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 irrelevant right as competitive players we have to look at it and go right okay that is the map pack that's been given to you the mission set that's been given to you how do you work with that and make it work for you so yeah kill team selection step um great point 
I think had I thought about it a bit more before I went, I probably would have taken my blood into that event and taken the Star Shire as the event before, um, or or mixed it up like in that way because I think blooded do really well on those um, those mixed board formats because they can they can perform quite well in both environments. Um, elite perform quite well in both environments as well. I find I'm I'm not sure Star Striders are the best on Into the Dark. They've got some play there, but a lot of it can be can be quite situational and difficult. Um, and the the assets can be quite hard to shoot uh, or to find the angles that you would normally get because of the way the boards are. The the firing lanes are are narrowed down anyway, so that the benefit you would have of sort of like spreading your guys out all over the place to have so many different angles that people have to compute is sort of taken away and, and you just sort of get funnels instead and it's like well you can get one here or one here or one here um so i think i i think that their strength is, is an open board personally I, don't get me wrong i think they're good on into the dark and they, they can perform and clearly i just i won both games on it so it's not like they're in a bad place there or anything like that but i think that's that's where they're a little bit weaker in comparison to, to say other teams um so, yeah, it, kill team selection step. Probably, if I thought a little bit more about it, I would have taken a different team. Um, however, I'm trying to do this, you know, different team to every tournament vibe, and trying to broaden myself as a as a gamer. Uh, and it's probably what's costing me um, top spots, to be fair, because in game one and game two, I think I think to be honest, if if, if I'm honest with myself familiarity with the faction cost me and familiarity with their attack ops cost me and had i been more familiar with those i probably would have, would have been okay but i hadn't been practicing enough so i think that's that's probably why dan rightfully won and i didn't because i i didn't get myself in the right position ahead of time um that's that's going to be something that's going to happen right if i if i'm not committing to it to a certain faction so um so yeah i think that's 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 one lesson and then the next lesson would be it really affects your tack ops, you know, and I, I haven't played enough on Into the Dark. I've played a lot of open board, but I haven't played enough on Into the Dark, and it, and it does affect the game, and it is, a very, it is a very different game. So you have to have really a plan for both, um, and you can't just go into it with the, I, I always take these objectives, and therefore I'll take these same ones over and over again, because it, ju it just won't work that way. Um, so yeah, it was it was good. It, it definitely added a challenge that um, was something for me to think about. You know, I was I was real nervous going round two in, in session into dark because he he was running uh, rapid methodical or durable. Yeah, you're rapid methodical. So that is like a that is a real problem child to deal with when they can overwatch on threes and uh, or guard on threes and that sort of stuff. And they've got the rerolls and everything else. So um, so yeah, it was it was it was good and it definitely kept me working throughout the day, kept my brain spinning, um, and you know it ended up with with a really fun tournament and again like i know i say this every time i'm like a stuck record um but just how good the, the competitive scene is up in manchester but they had like every round they had these like challenges people want to try and get uh where they're trying you know make sure you get the first kill the first leader kill whatever it is and everyone's like got these like secondary objectives they're trying to do and everyone's super friendly and the, the facility's great as well the element games uh uh Northwest Gaming Center is 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 a, is a big venue with plenty of space. Uh, the staff are all really friendly, and um, Dan and Ben uh, do a fantastic job like hosting and toing. So you know, I I really can't give any any criticism to the event in in, in that way at all because everyone that's been to one has said it's fantastic. They would go again. And in fact, I spoke to the the, the Barton clan, um, so Dan and Guy, and, and they were like, yeah, it was really good, and they're recommending it to all the London players. So I think. 
you know, if we can get get one where the, the trains don't cancel, you might see like a sixty-four player plus event up there um, in future, which is which is which is awesome because it, it really is really good. So um, yeah, we'll see. But uh, I think yeah, to, to, to answer your question in in the longest rambling ten minutes ever, Connor. <laughs> um, yeah, it was it was it was good. It added, added a challenge. Uh, the reason that the, you do it is for uh, the difficulty of organization of for a tournament vice say um a pure competitive tactical reason that's so interesting because it sounds it's like a happy little accident i get, I get what you're saying when you did it but i just from my knee-jerk reaction from hearing it it makes for a more competitive environment you've now got to select a, a kill team that works on both environments and even then when you discuss it intercessors or oh, which chapter tactics do i take because some are great on open board some are great on into the dark but they're not both so do i have to pay a cp when i want to chop and change between the two it's just adding an extra dimension to the competitive environment and it just it just sounds sounds really fun yeah absolutely and it is it is really good fun and like there is into dark it can be quite chaotic i, I think it's it's somewhat divisive as a, as a community some people love it some will hate it i think I think it's easier, and it's, I guess that, that, that's the thing, isn't it? Like, because it is adding a bit more cognitive load. I know there's there's a lot of people, for instance, that don't want to do four rounds; they, they prefer three rounds. So the the chopping and changing and, and making it harder for them, for the, for those sort of casual gamers that just want to turn up, roll roll a few dice, and and and, and leave, um, they might go, oh, I'm, "Oh, I'm not sure if I like it or not." But you're right. I think for the higher levels, it's it's definitely adding something, which is which is pretty cool. <clears throat> Okay, awesome stuff. So um, that covered off my weekend in, in a long ramble, but long story short, great weekend. Star Striders OP uh, managed to come second, uh, but dropped some points through my own misplays. And Dan, uh, the uh, rightful winner with his Imperial Navy breaches, uh, got the golden ticket, which is which is awesome stuff. So um, that's all all cool things. So we go into a question from the patrons, Connor. If we got time. Yeah, let's do it. We've got a really good question here today, actually, about analysis paralysis. And I think it's so good, we might have to do a whole episode on it, but I'll ask it and then you get your thoughts. Analysis paralysis. How do you avoid it when you have two or more valuable targets? So for example, how do you make a quick decision between killing, say, a plasma gunner or a comms guy handing out two APL per turn where they can score, secure attack ops or objective VPs? How do you weigh that potential value of utility operatives against something scary like AP2? Yeah, this is a absolutely fantastic question. And I think right off the bat, you hit nail on the head. We're going to have to do a full episode on this because there is so much to talk about analysis paralysis and, and, and all the various options and et cetera, et cetera. So I think it's to do it justice, we're going to have to do a full episode. I'm not going to try and squeeze it in just to, to one of these, but... I think at the same time, I want to try and give a few things that's going to help hopefully straight away before we then cover it in detail again in, in future. So um, let's look at a sort of the specific example that's been given there. So well, there's two examples. Like one is uh, you have a, a plasma gunner as, as a valid target, and then you have a comms model as, as a valid target. And which which one are you going to, are you going to choose to kill? So firstly... The, to set the scene, you have to know which turning point it is, right? So we're going to talk about how you do risk management throughout the game and that kind of stuff. But if this is turning point one, the way that I'm looking at those those two two things is, okay, well, that, that guy that with a plasma gun could potentially be killing four of my models. 
And that could potentially then mean that I'm going to lose however many VP. Um, and as a result, that's a, a, a higher priority uh, model to kill. However, conversely, let's say it's turning point four, and the only way that they can score the VP that they need to win is to hand out a comms buff, an APL buff, to a model that's within range, and then be able to give that uh, that model the movement it needs to be able to capture an objective. Well, suddenly that's that's completely changed. So what I'm doing there is I'm I'm purely looking at the win condition when I'm when I'm looking at these these points, and it, and it might be that I, I say, okay, what does killing this guy give me from a uh, from a VP differential point of view, right? So. Is it their, you know, is the person you're going to kill their Robin Ransack target? Is it their executioner? Is it their, is it your eliminate guard? Um, all that sort of stuff. And, and how can you stack those those VPs? And, and I basically just try to look at, on the most simplest level, like what's the points differential? Is killing him costing me uh, one VP and gaining them one? Is it is it is it gaining me five and losing them two? And then just, I, I look at it purely on that and go right. Well, the the end result there is is three points difference. And I'm, I'm up by three points. And if that's what I need to win, then that's what I need, right? So that's kind of like how I go through it and and, and try and figure it out. Because at the end of the day, the game is all about VP. And at the most simplistic level, that's what I'm trying to look at when it comes to analysis paralysis. So which is going to give you the most amount of points in that instance or stop you from being denied the most amount of points as the game progresses and and then and then go from there. But there, there is a whole load more stuff that we need to talk about when we talk about this, like, you know, so we talked about what turning point is it? What is the probability of it happening? You know, what's the the the, the unintended side effects of you of you doing that, all that sort of stuff. But we'll talk about that in, in another episode because we we could talk probably for another hour on on that alone. I think. Yeah, for sure. And even then, when you were speaking, then I was thinking about you know, has one of them activated and the other one not activated? Um, what what's the like you said the percentage chance of killing one model over the other? There's just so many variables going on here. Yeah, absolutely. And, and even like, say, because another one there, going back to activation advantage on turn one, you know, if you're killing a model that's not yet activated, maybe that's going to give you the activation advantage that you need. So maybe by killing the comms, that's going to give you the ability to move a guy onto an objective and the plasma gun can't shoot him because it's your last activation. And therefore the threat of the plasma has been mitigated because you never got to shoot anyway. So yeah, that's a, a, a really good question. Let We'll, we'll, capture that again and we're going to make sure we do that in a deep dive um at, at some point in the future because it's definitely worth touching on uh, in, in far, far more detail okay um i think it's probably worth kind of just rounding off uh on a tactical tip uh f- for the episode because we didn't do one last last week and it's probably worth us just getting getting one in getting one now what do you think uh let's squeeze it in i think we've got time let's do it all right, sweet. So the one that I'm going to talk about today is is non-reciprocal shooting, and I I don't want to go too much into the, the 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 most core mechanics of it when it comes to obscurity because that is the well. Okay, Connor. Right, I'm going to ask you when, when I'm talking about non-reciprocal shooting, what what comes to what comes to mind? Immediately, I'm thinking about using obscuring terrain to allow me to shoot a model without that model shooting being able to shoot me. Yeah, absolutely. So that is that is the most generic form of non-reciprocal shooting. But what I wanted to give from a tactical tip is the fact that there is many, many ways to achieve the same outcome. And I just want, I just want to go through a, a few of them now because that is the, the most basic method is using obscurity to make sure that only one model can shoot and then the, the, the other model can't shoot back. And against a team like, say, intercession with their ability to shoot on death, that is 
probably the most important method of being able to do so, right? So um, that that's one one way. But there's a few other ways I, I want to want to caveat them now. So there's the uh, pseudo elite method or the elite method. So that's where you move out, do your shot, and then use the dash uh, ability to then get back into uh, either concealment or uh, sorry visibility uh, out of visibility or out of line of sight, wherever it is. So it might be that by having three APL you can then use that so you can't then be be shot uh, on the return fire. And you might be able to achieve that through either an APL buff, a special ability like a free dash or um, or potentially just by being through APL as always. The other way that this, this can look, which people will, will hear referred to probably as like pop tarting. So the idea of something coming out of the top of a toaster and then going back into the, to, to the toaster to be hidden away is on, on the edge of a vantage point, potentially you can move up Leave your base with a slight overhang over the back of it. Take your shot, and then with that third APL, move back down behind the barricade with a dash. And suddenly, no return fire can come at you. And that's an, another valid way for elites to be able to get those shots off without being shot uh, in return. This can be gone further when you go and look at doorways on maps like Octarius and Chalnath um, and that sort of thing. So you might be able to move through a door, shoot, and then dash back through the door that you just went through. Um, so that those are, are sort of three ways. You can use the edge of a building, you can use a vantage point, or you can use a doorway to be able to go, go way, uh, the way through. Into the dark, same can be done with hatches, right? So maybe you're, you're at a hatch and you're on conceal in heavy cover. You activate, you flip to engage. You shoot someone, your second action, you close the hatch, and bam, right, that's it, right there. You've stopped that visibility, away you go, and you're no longer being being shot at. So that's a few ways of using your APL um, manipulation to be able to get those shots off uh, around doorways, pop-tarting on Vantage, or using the edge of cover. There's a few other ways as well, which is um, which is quite interesting, which, which I'll cover as, cover as well. So there's another one, which is one-way visibility. So this is can be where if you have someone that's, let's say, pointing a, a gun out around the corner of a of a wall and something like that, you have to remember that for your opponent to shoot you, they still have to draw visibility with their head. So if you can move your model in a way where your the head of your model can see their model, let's say it's their arm or whatever, or their gun or whatever's sticking out, so you can draw a shot on them, but from their head, they draw back and they can't see any part of your model. Well, you could be potentially within two inches and getting a shot, which is non, it's only one way visibility, and they can't then shoot you back with non reciprocal shooting because even though you're not obscured, you're not visible. And that's the, that's the key thing. So that could be another way where you can potentially get um, those, those one way shots. The next one I would, I would go for is a, a charge block. So let's say you have a model, you, you flip to engage, you shoot someone. And, and they haven't died, but they're potentially going to then shoot you back. Well, the next option is you just charge them. So if they're within range for you to charge, you can move out into engagement range with them, tie them up, and then they can't shoot in combat. So then they have to fall back, which might cost them two APL, which on a guard figure might mean that they're no longer able to kill you, or they have to fight you. And if they don't kill you in fighting, then then they're, they're not going to be able to get away with it. Or they might you know lose their ability to shoot twice or that sort of thing as well. So... That's a really important way of being able to just tie up a model, reduce their APL ability and reduce their ability to get those shots off. Another one which is like really, really simple is just silent weapons. Silent weapons are are non-reciprocal method of shooting. You know, if you're on conceal and you're doing your engagement, then you're going to be able to, uh, you know, get those shots without taking the, the, the fire back. 
Another one might be um, if you have the ability to change an order. So some models have the ability to change it during their activation. Um, and you could potentially use that to be able to shoot someone, change your order back to conceal, and then you're good to go. Uh, and that's, again, another method of, of non-reciprocal shooting. Finally, the, the, the one that's potentially the most tactically impactful is the last first, right? So if your last activation is going to be move out, shoot someone, well, then at the start of your next activation at the, of, the, of the next turn, you can then either shoot again and move behind uh, visibility or obscurity, or you can conceal yourself and move to somewhere else so you don't get shot. So that can be another way of doing it. If, if your opponent doesn't have the opportunity to shoot you at the end of the turning point, then you can do it that way as well. And you might be able to combine that potentially with a strategic phase ability. So you might have a strategic phase ability to change that order uh, going forwards or use strategic phase movement to be able to move back as well. So the classic example would be an iron rifle swinging out with pathfinders, recon sweep back into cover uh, or a, you know, a crew being able to use, uh, is it fast or something like that? Like their, their stalkers, yeah. Warp, warp yeah, Coven have got a similar thing as well. Yeah, Warp Coven had the ability to do it during their activation with a tactical ploy, the capricious plan, where it is. Um, all those sorts of things, right? So if you have that ability, then flip your order back, boom, before your opponent gets a chance to shoot, you're you're back on conceal and, and you're hidden away. So when, when we talk about non-reciprocal shooting, I think it's it's great to understand that the core mechanics of, of using obscurity uh, to avoid those shots, but also thinking about all those other methods that you can layer up one after the other to be able to avoid those shots as well. Because there is there is a whole bunch of ways of doing it, and I think it's it's it would be um, remiss of us just to think about it just purely uh, from a obscurity point of view. Um, so I think I'd say uh, hopefully a useful tactical tip is when you're doing non-reciprocal shooting, use all of the options that are available to you, not just the, the use of obscurity. Any thoughts on that, Connor? Outside of RBTs and Pathfinders, are, any other, are there any other teams that can shoot into combat as well? I was just thinking about when you said time up in combat. There is a few. So I know Blooded can do it as well, but they have a chance that they'll hit their own teammate. Um, there is... Corsairs, their pistol hero can shoot in engagement range, so he could potentially charge you and shoot. Um, I'm trying to think if there's any others. I'm sure there will be, um, but it's there's a few, but there's 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 not loads. So it's a it, it it might not work for everyone. And make sure you double check with your opponent before you start yeeting models into close combat for them just to be shot by someone else. I guess. Um, but yeah, good point. It's also a good interesting way. Then it's a good way to stop Overwatch, which is a way someone can shoot back at you because they're not able to fall back at that point because they've already activated. Absolutely, yeah. Throwing models of uh, charging into models that have already activated as a way of hiding your guys is is fantastic, and it can really slow down a, 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 a enemy that's, that's trying to get stuff done. And you can use it at the end of a end of a turn. Just you know, I've, I've shot with this guy, done what he wants to do. Yeet them into into two models, and suddenly they're they're tied up next turn as, as they have to fall back, and they're wasting their APL, which can be really useful. I think, unless there's anything else you wanted to add, Connor, that might bring us to the end. Uh, no, but I was wondering um, if people feel I missed out on Dan and Ben's tournament here and want to get involved in the next one. Has they got one coming up? They absolutely do. There's one up in kind of in May. Let me double check the dates of that and we'll uh, in the next episode uh get those up because i think it's, it's worth sharing in fact well, i'll try and put them in the description if we can as well um but yeah because there is there's uh, a whole bunch of tournaments coming up uh for the manchester guys 
there's obviously there's Warhammer Fest that's coming up just around the corner at the beginning of May, and I think it's mid-May. I, I want to say it's like like the 14th-ish or something like that is, is where it is their next one, but I can't remember exactly, so I, I don't want to give people false information. But um, if you're if you if you want to go on it and you want to go to one of these tournaments and want to get amongst it, which I highly highly recommend, um, then get on Discord, find um, really really great name at these nuts, um, find that 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 user, uh, hit him up and or, or go into the tournaments page on like Andy's Discord and Glass Half Dead and have a look and see what's there because it will definitely be advertised and highly worth worth going to. I think. Okay, awesome. So that's going to bring us to the end of this episode. Hopefully you found something new or useful whilst listening. If you did throwing us a like, we greatly appreciate If you want to make sure you don't miss any episodes, make sure you click that subscribe button, helping us get to those 1,000 subscribers, and you'll get a notification as soon as the next episode drops as well. And that really is one of the best ways to help support a small channel like ours. If you can't wait and you do want early access to all of this sort of good stuff, we have a Patreon where you get exclusive access to all this content ahead of time. And you also get bespoke Q&A uh, where you can ask the questions and we'll answer them live on the podcast for you every week. As always, we'd love to hear your thoughts and feedback. So drop a comment below and we'll get right to you. Thank you so much for listening. I'm your host, Ryan. This has been Turning Point Tactics and we'll see you next week. See you next week. <laughs>